This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? They're blind dates with books where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author, and it's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked for yourself. We're giving away five blind dates with books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson will take a trip to her local Indian Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five at random off their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter, where we will send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter or go see if your local indie participants participates with their own blind date shelves. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 204, and we are recording on October 22nd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Greetings. Greetings. I made my first baked oatmeal of the season this morning. Baked oatmeal has changed my breakfast life. Right? Yes. I'm kind of cheating, though. Like, I on Sundays, I will stew some fruit and then just dump it in a casserole dish and put, like, I guess it's like a crumble of oatmeal on top and then oh. bake that. And then I eat that. Like, I eat on it every morning. <laughs> For a week. That's so smart. And it's so easy. Like, I, I was just trying to use up frozen fruit that was in my freezer, and it turned out to be amazing. No, that's genius. I usually do the full-on, like eggs, yogurt, milk, whisk together. There's some baking powder and sugar and oats and, you know, and then lots of fruit in there. But I never thought of doing it as like a breakfast crumble. That's You're a genius. It's just a like genius. a slacker version of, <laughs> of the better thing. <laughs> but it's tasty. It's so good. All right. Well, I guess we should actually talk about books. <laughs> Not oatmeal. We are maybe in our 30s. Things we say now. I mean. All right. So if you are new to the show, welcome. As we said at the top, this is a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations, which means y'all send in questions about what you should read next, maybe. Maybe there's a book that you love and you're looking for something like it, or maybe you're looking for a recommendation for a friend or a family member or a birthday or travel or whatever, you can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them into the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. So there's no feedback, so I guess we'll just dive right in. Amanda's going to read our first question, and then I will tell you about our first sponsor, and away we'll go. All right. Our first question is from Jana, who says, I am sort of a huge fan of Stephen King. Every spooky season, I try to make time to read at least one. I adore his writing style and world building. Another big plus for me in his novels specifically are the characters he creates and develops. However, the more I read his work, the more I cringe at some of the blatant sexism, racism, and homophobia throughout. I was wondering if you could recommend me some horror or thriller novels that have the same elements of a King novel, but don't have any of the other stuff. Bonus points for women authors, LGBTQ authors, and authors of color. 
All right. So before we get into our Stephen King read-alikes, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Fireborn by Rosaria Munda from Penguin Teen. And this is a debut, and it is an adventure that calls into question which matters most, the family you were born into or the one you've chosen. It is about Annie and Lee, who were just kids when a big revolution changed their world, giving everyone, even the lowborn, a chance to test into the governing class of dragon riders. And now they're both rising stars, despite backgrounds that couldn't be more different. Annie is from a lower class family that was executed by dragon fire. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> while Lee was from an aristocratic family that was murdered by revolutionaries. So obviously they're going to be best friends. But they grew up in the same orphanage, so they are best friends. And they are now rivals for the top position in the dragon riding fleet. But everything changes when survivors from the old regime surface bent on reclaiming the city. So they have to make choices about the family that they have left behind, the families that that they've come to find. Do they stick with each other? Do they split paths? What's going to happen to them? I don't know. It sounds very interesting. Uh, and they are calling this Game of Thrones meets Harry Potter, which is an interesting combination of things. Uh, there is a blurb from author Rachel Hartman, who wrote Serafina and Tess of the Road, which I love. And she says, Fireborn is everything I want in fantasy. Deep world building, fierce and vivid characters, heartbreaking choices, and dragons, dragons, dragons. So that's that's pretty compelling. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so if that sounds interesting to you as well, this is Fireborn by Rosaria Munda, sponsored by Penguin Teen. Check it out. Alrighty. So I picked Mapping the Interior by Stephen Graham Jones for this question, which was, again, um, looking for more diverse kind of Stephen King read-alikes. Uh, and Mapping the Interior is a novella, so it's it's short, but it, it reminds me of The Shining, but not as gross <laughs> or as long. Um, so it's got that similar kind of like haunted building, terrible dad thing going on, uh, from, told from the perspective of a little boy, uh, except in this case, the terrible dad is dead. So that's different. Um, but Mapping the Interior is about a boy who is 12. Uh, he lives in a house with his mom and his bro his little brother. His dad has died a few years prior. <clears throat> and they're, le you know, like they're just surviving. Like this family is surviving. They're a Native American family. Stephen Graham Jones is a Blackfeet, uh, member of the Blackfeet tribe. And this kid, like, he's an insomniac. He's up one night roaming around his house and he thinks that he sees a figure in a doorway in his home in the middle of the night one night. And he realizes that like the only, you know, the only people who could be in the house at that time are his mom or his brother. And it's not either of those people. In fact, this like ghost looking thing looks a lot like his father. And so he starts um, exploring his home, trying to figure out like, where could somebody be hiding if it is a person? And if not, if it's not a person, what <laughs> is going on? Um, and so the house is ends up being it's almost like a TARDIS, like it ends up being bigger on the inside in a lot of really creepy and scary ways. Um, and the book is also is exploring like his relationship with his dad, who is not a great um, parental figure. And while he's trying to get at the bottom of what's going on in his home um, and where this like mysterious ghostly you know apparition is coming from, he's realizing that he's putting his little brother in more and more danger for reasons that I won't get into because of spoiler, but they're supernatural and creepy, uh, as the best Stephen King Regal likes are. It's got a nice, like, very satisfying kind of ending, um, and is creepy without being horrifying. 
even though it is technically a horror novel. But uh, if you are a bit like, oh, I don't know, of a scaredy cat, <laughs> which I definitely am, then I think that this is like the appropriate amount of, of horror for you. So that's Mapping the Interior by Stephen Graham Jones. I picked The Book of M by Pung Shepherd, which is my favorite stand comp uh, for a while now. I just think it's such a good match for that kind of like, oh, gosh, there's an epidemic and the world is ending and all of these different people are all headed towards the same place and what's going to happen and is humanity going to survive? And it has all of those things. Um, in this case, unlike The Stand, it is not a killer flu. It is a slightly more magical situation in which people have started to lose their shadows, like their shadows are just suddenly gone. What? And then they sort of, when they lose their shadows, they also develop the ability to do magic, but they start to forget and not just forget like who they are, who they love, as if that weren't bad enough. But it can get to the point where they forget how to breathe. They forget to eat. So you can die of this situation in like really kind of sad and horrible ways. And there are four different characters that you're following. Um, Ori and Max, who are a couple who have been at a wedding in an upstate like, you know, hotel out in the woods when everything really collapses and have been like, eking out an existence, hoping that neither of them come down with this because they have no idea how it spreads. And then Max, she does, in fact, lose her shadow and disappears. And so now Orly has to go like on the road to try to find her and save her or save himself. Who knows? And then there's another young woman, uh, Manaz, who is an archer, which I love, uh, who is studying at a Boston university. And she is, you know, Iranian. She's half a world away from her family when everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And this is about and then her journey is about her, you know, reunite, trying to reunite with family and then who they meet along the way. And then there's this unnamed character referred to as the amnesiac. And there are some like medical study papers in there, which reminded me a little bit of the stand too. Like you get the medical, like all of these doctors trying desperately to figure out what is going on. Um, and there are just like bands of roving, forgetful magic users. And it, it some of them are harmless and some of them are super not harmless. And then everything gathers together for this one explosive moment at the end. And it's just like, oh, what's going to happen? I will tell you that the ending of this book is very provocative in that you will have a very strong feeling about it. And some people really did not love it. I did love it. It felt earned to me, but it's a heartbreaker. So just, you know, warning you there. But it is. It's got, you know, it's diverse. It's got queer characters. It's got so many interesting things going on. It has a much more international perspective than The Stand, which I appreciate. Um, and I just love it. So again, that's The Book of M by Pung Shepherd. And also, we did a whole episode about Stephen King readalikes. So I'm going to leave a link for that uh, in the show notes for you. So our next question is from Stephanie, who says, I am a playwright and currently working on a research-based project with high school students. We are collaborating, creating a devised piece about lady scientists. It's really cool, and I'm looking for some books highlighting these incredible ladies. 
I'm focusing on the cosmos, so I have Hidden Figures, Radium Girls, and Rise of the Rocket Girls. I'm finding Rise of the Rocket Girls really focuses on the looks and love lives of the ladies and not so much about the barriers that were systematically in place to prevent them or shame them from joining the STEM workforce. I'm also interested in the POC perspective in this area, looking for more lady authors and books that might also appeal to my young students. I'm just going to keep talking. I picked for you, it's a book I haven't read yet because my library hold did not come in in time, mm. but it looks super interesting. and I'm really excited to get to it when it does. It's called Promised the Moon, the untold story of the first women in the space race. And this is a, Stephanie Nolan is the author and she tracked down 11 of the surviving lady astronaut trainees from the first you know, batch of women who took the astronaut tests in the in the late 50s and early 60s and and like asked them to talk to her about what happened when they were trained and then grounded for basically being women. And I love I love me some like first person, you know, primary source material stuff. And I think the idea of, you know, having like them telling their stories of what it was like to go through that training and then be grounded for their gender is is fascinating. And I'm so curious about this. Um, and I love this idea that you're getting their perspective on it. Uh, and, you know, particularly Jerry Cobb. Um, so it, it's, it's just really fascinating. It's a really fascinating subject. I think this is a really cool project. And I think that perhaps like having it be, you know, from the words of these women might make a big impact on your students. So again, that's Promised the Moon uh, by Stephanie Nolan. I had no idea that was even a thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's frustrating. It was. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I picked Women in Science by Rachel Ignatowski. And this is an illustrated book. It's about 50 women in STEM throughout history. Um, and every page is about a different person. Uh, there's like a a few paragraphs i mean a page there's a page worth of information about them uh, but there's also a lot of like diagrams and infographics um, and along with the historical and biographical information of each woman in science who the author is talking about there's also useful like side notes um so infographics about like lab equipment and what you know, each piece of equipment does. Um, there's modern infographics about the rates of women working in STEM fields now um, and an illustrated glossary of like scientific terms and things like that. So everything in the biographies themselves of each individual scientist makes sense like in in context and also in like the greater historical context. Um, so there's, oh, I mean, a lot of different people in this book. They cover all kinds of scientific fields. Um, so it's not just astro astrology, astronomy. I get them mixed up. And I know this is like a weird, it's like how I can't spell embarrassed <laughs> the first time without having to Google it. It's a weird thing. Or physics. Uh, she also covers like biology. There's information about Jane Goodall. Um, and then, of course, like Katherine Johnson and all of the women from Hidden Figures and um, a bunch of like the, you know, tried and true like Mary Curie, you know, tried and true kind of women of historical scientific significance. And then also a bunch of people I had never heard of uh, because, of course, you don't because of the patriarchy. So, but I think that this is a good pick, especially for young adult readers, because there's so much side information that um, a lot of times I think historical texts about um, well, about anything can feel very dry because it doesn't, you know, kids don't always have the ability to like draw the through line to, from what they're reading to how it applies to like what's going on right now. Um, but this book does that a little bit of that work for them by saying like, 
uh, here is, you know, the context of this field or the context of this experiment or accomplishment that this woman had um, and how she cleared the way for people who are working in this field now. So that's Women in Science by Rachel Ignatowski. Question three is from Anne, who says, can you recommend me some YA superhero stories with diverse casts that aren't by Marvel or DC? Ensemble cast preferred, things like Young Justice, Young Avengers, or Teen Titans, but not those things. Comic books or novels are both fine. Okay, what's your answer, I'm so excited for this question. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, My pick for you is Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee, which is the first in the sidekick squad. What an amazing name for a series that is. And this is diverse both in terms of the race and gender and sexuality of the characters. I love it so much. And the main character in this first one, Jessica Tran, is in high school and superpowers are like super common in this world um also you like have to do things like get intern internships and like take your like high school tests and like life is you know as a teenager is very complicated as always and Jess comes from a family where like her parents have powers and are like kind of known but she does not appear to have any superpowers despite having like tried all of these different ways to like awaken what she is sure are her hidden powers and nothing is working and she's like oh I have to I guess I have to go to college like I'm not going to get to go to superhero training school so I need to beef up my college application so I need an internship and she finds a paid internship only it turns out to be for the town's heinous supervillain who is like the enemy of her parents but she's like a pretty let's see how do i want to say this like she's a little bit bitter and so she's like i'm gonna take this internship and work for the people my parents are fighting because whatever like parents are stupid um so she (laughs) takes this internship and it also means that she gets to work alongside abby who is her secret crush and then there's this like mystery person at the internship who she gets to be close to and Everything kind of spirals out from there. And what she discovers is that nothing about the way that superpowers work and the way that the superhero squads are organized in her world is exactly as it seems. And there's a totally amazing like squad moment at the end. And the series jumps from character to character. So a side character in this first one is the main character of the next one, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it will definitely give you all of those like teen superhero squad vibes you're looking for, plus the diversity that is just makes it so much more interesting. Uh, so again, that is Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee, and it's the first in the Sidekick Squad series. Okay, I picked Renegades by Marissa Mayer, which is the first book in the Renegades series. And I really like this. I like this one because it's like a who watches the Watchmen kind of a superhero story uh, where the superheroes are actually kind of the bad guys. So the main character's name is Nova, and she is half Filipino. Um, and her parents died and she blames the renegades. The renegades are a syndicate of what they call prodigies, which are just people with superheroes who, uh, after like society has kind of crumbled, has helped rebuild it. They're all very like golden hair flowing in the wind kind of a thing. Like they're here to save you and to restore peace and order and justice, except they never showed up when her parents were attacked and murdered. So she has this like very deep seated resentment towards them. She joins, um, what's essentially like a gang of supervillains who are intent on destroying the renegades, exposing them for the like bullies and authoritarian people that they are, uh, or also just murdering them. That's fine. Um, and to do that, Nova decides she's going to join them. So she goes undercover, joins the renegades, and there joins their like a group of, of like 
teen squad, you know, they're going to go out and solve crimes. Um, and as you can imagine, it becomes a little bit more complicated. She starts to realize that like the people that she's working with really are trying to uh, do good in the world. It does not always work uh, the way that they're intended. She develops romantic feelings for one of the kids who happens to be the son of the two people who lead the renegades. Um, and the whole cast is very diverse. The people who are in charge of the renegades are a gay couple. And um, the like teen squad is very racially diverse. Marissa Meyer is white, but I don't know if that, I mean, you didn't specify own voices, so I went with it. Uh, it's a super fun, but I will warn you that like it ends on a massive cliffhanger, which the second book is out. So like you can satisfy that itch pretty quickly. Um, but I was, I was mad. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> um, but that's just me. Like I, cliffhangers make me angry, as, as do most things. So that's Renegades by Marissa Mayer. <laughs> That's just true. It is just true. Uh, Okay, our next question is from Lacey, who says, please help me find a book from my mom. She's trying to be woke, but is having problems understanding. For instance, she doesn't understand how slavery of black people in the U.S. could still affect anyone today and doesn't grasp all of the institutional racism that still occurs today. Perhaps a hashtag own voices book could help her grasp the issues that people who aren't white and or straight face. Um, so I thought a lot about this one. I went back and forth, but ultimately I picked Between the World and Me by Tanahazi Coates because if you need something that gets super personal about the effects of institutionalized racism and, you know, the long running generational impact of slavery. Like, this is a really good one. It's Coates writing letters to his son about what it means to be a black man in America. And part of this is informed by he's a journalist. And so, you know, he's done a lot of writing on reparations and America's, you know, history around racism and, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, And he's also traveled abroad and, you know, experienced some of what that means and, you know, thinking about like Baldwin and all of that stuff. And so he's he's looking at it from a bunch of different perspectives, including his own childhood and like what it was like to be raised by his own parents and the things that, you know, his parents, like the way they the ways they tried to keep him safe, which sometimes, you know, just made like gave him his own fears and trauma to deal with. Um, And then obviously, you know, deaths of friends and family and all of these things. So it gets super personal as well as looking at the context, the broader historical and, and contemporary context. And, you know, it's hard not to be, I mean, it's just impossible not to be moved by a father writing to his son about these things. One of the criticisms of this book is that it is very much about the Black male experience and doesn't solve, you know, or look into the Black female experience. So that it's only one part of the bigger story. But I do think that, especially as a parent, like this is something that your mother will will probably feel very viscerally and may help her understand uh, what exactly it is that that she's missing here. So again, that's Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, I picked So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Oluo, who I think wrote this book specifically for your mom. Like, this book is for people like your mom who, like, don't know even what questions to ask or um, are maybe, like, trying to understand the issues but are afraid to say the wrong thing. There's actually a chapter about that. Like, what if I ask the wrong questions? Um, and so I found it very helpful, even though, I, I mean, I, I know the answers to most of the questions, but hearing the perspective from somebody else 
especially a black woman, was extremely helpful for me. So every chapter is a different um, issue that she is trying to explain to both white people and people of color who aren't black. So like there's a chapter on like, like I said, what if I talk about this wrong? Uh, why am I always being asked to check my privilege? Like, what does that even mean is a chapter? Um, what are microaggressions? There's also a whole chapter about what to do if you get called racist, um, which was super helpful. Again, um, like, she's not she's she's not pulling any punches right like she's not saying um that you get a cookie for trying to understand what's going on in the world or for trying to understand the black experience in america like that should be a given but she's also not being she's not talking down to the reader or being cruel or dismissive of their like concerns or questions because you know we all start from like nobody's born fully fully woke and understanding racial context in american history um and she understands that and so she's trying to answer these questions i wouldn't say in a gentle way but in a like res- very respectful way without ignoring how not understanding these issues makes things a lot worse my favorite chapter is probably the introduction, actually, where she's trying just to define the word racism, which I think a lot of, like, even left-leaning white people tend to define it as, like, anytime a person of another race is mean to me, uh, which is not helpful or accurate. And so <laughs> she frames the she frames the whole discussion around what racism actually is, and then, um, which I think is a good jumping off point, because if you're, if you're trying to, like, get woke, you know, and you don't even understand... You're never going to understand systemic or institutionalized racism if you don't understand racism as a concept to begin with, because it, it has to be institutional and systemic. And so it, coming, at, coming at it from that perspective and then answering all these other questions that people are like, wait, but what does that mean? I don't understand. You know, um, I just found it very, very helpful. So that's So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Aluo. All right. I'm doing a sponsor. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. Our sponsor is The, the Best American Short Stories of 2019 audiobook which is edited by anthony door the whole series is edited by heidi pitler uh and this is the first time in a lot of years that the best american short stories collection is available in audio format i'm sure like getting the rights for all of that is a nightmare actually maybe it's not i don't know this is my own personal digression i have questions (laughs) about why it hasn't been available in audio for so long but that's fine no one has to answer them for me so the best american short stories this year includes so many good authors there's a story from ursula ursula kayla gwynn jeffrey eugenides um sigrid nunez wiki wong and then nana kwame ajay brenya and a lot of narrators that not the stories are not all not all narrated by their authors but there are a lot of big narrator names if you're familiar with audiobooks uh, like the world of audiobooks at all like robin miles is one of the narrators she's super famous in the audiobook world scott shepherd um zach villa anthony door who is editing this collection is pro- is like obviously best known for all the light we cannot see which is a number one new york times bestseller that's been on like the hardcover fiction bestseller list for literal years it's a bananas it's bananas successful um but he's also written some short story collections which i did not realize in 2010 he won the 2010 story prize which is the like most prestigious prize in the u.s for short story collections he's won the sunday times efg short story award which is the biggest prize internationally for a single short story so lots of big names both in the book and in the editor um and on audio for like the first time in a hot minute so go check that out that's best american short stories 2019 the audiobook edited by anthony door i'm so excited that it's best american season yes are they, are they gonna do a food one I mean, I know they are, but like, is it going to be on audio? That's the one I want to know. Oh, I don't know. And it would be amazing if the sci-fi fantasy collection was in audio, too. We'll have to go looking. (sighs) 
Research time. Okay. We, we have demands. <laughs> Excuse me, I have requests. <laughs> <laughs> so our next question is from Maria, who says, I am Brazilian, and I love to read about Latinx lives in North America, Colombian, Puerto Rican, Mexican, Cuban, you name it, mainly because I enjoy seeing what other Latinx cultures have in common with Brazilian culture, and also because it is the closest to my culture that I can find. I've never found a Brazilian immigrant in entertainment, be it books, TV shows, movies, or Broadway. As much as I love reading about my Latinx siblings, I can't help feel a little bit left out since Brazil is the only country in Latin America that speaks Portuguese. I would love to read a book, preferably YA, but I'd love anything really with a Brazilian character whose culture is important to them. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I picked Crow Blue by Adriana Lisboa, and it's uh, translated by Allison and Trekken. And this is, it's not classified as YA, but it's the coming of age story of a 13-year-old girl. So, you know, I think that it will scratch the itch for you. Um, The girl's name is Vanya. She lives in Rio uh, and her mother dies unexpectedly. So she is sent by her family to go live with her stepfather, who is in Colorado. Um, And he, well, the story also tells a little bit of his, like, you get a bit of narration from him. So that's probably why it's not classified as YA because of like a grown man that was also being narrating parts of the story. But he's got a fascinating life for stepfather. He is a um, former gorilla who joined some, you know, well, gorilla bands in northern Brazil in his childhood and then fled to Colorado. He is working in Colorado cleaning houses um, and is trying to just like make it. And then when she shows up, Vanya, who is 13, she is deciding that she, like, wants to go in search of her biological father because this is her stepfather. And so he's helping her do that. And so you're both with her as she is experiencing life in, like, this huge change of moving from Brazil to Colorado, which mirrors the author's own personal experience um, and that immigrant story. And then also the story of her stepfather, who has this very violent past that he's trying to escape. Um, but now he's in the, now he's in America working these, like, very not demeaning, but, like, just kind of drudgery jobs that he does not enjoy that don't mean anything to him. And then this, like, 13-year-old girl shows up on his door, and it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's a change. Um, But the parts about her comparing, um, or not even necessarily comparing, but trying to come to grips with the fact that, like, she lives in Colorado now and how different it is from her life in Rio, both even in just, like, the colors. Like, there's so much in this book about how Colorado is gray and brown and blue and that's it. But Rio is, like, all of these massive amounts of color all the time everywhere you look and she, she doesn't even know what to look at, um, hence the title. So that is my favorite review. That's Crow Blue by Adriana Lisboa. This was a tough one. I need to read that book that Amanda <laughs> just recommended. It sounds fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was really, I, I mean, I just came up completely dry. So I have a little sort of off to the side recommendation for you. Um, I do want to mention really quickly and shout out 3%, which is a show on Netflix uh, that is in Portuguese. It is a Brazilian show and it's this really dark sort of intense, dystopia that takes place i don't know if it's actually rio i'm trying to remember if they ever say exactly where they are but it takes place in a brazilian city but it's like a way in a future where there's this like sort of hunger gamesy test situation and if you pass it you know you get to go to like the the place where everything is beautiful and there's enough food but if you don't then you have to stay where there's no food and everything is terrible and it's amazingly well acted and really intensely plotted and like, whew. Um, so just just in case you were not aware of that, it's incredible. Um, okay, so my pick for you is The Summer Prince by Alaya Don Johnson. It's not a Brazilian 
immigrant story. Instead, it is a story set in a Brazil of the future. And Alaya Don Johnson studied in Brazil. She is not herself Brazilian, I don't believe. Um, she's a woman of color, though. And and I remember doing actually her book party for this back when I was at the bookstore in New York. Um, and it was so much fun. And she had a friend come and like play like a Brazilian like song on his guitar and they sang and like it was amazing. Um, and she clearly has a great love for the culture that she wanted to convey in this book. So hopefully that will come across for you. Um, and it takes place in a future in a city called Palmares Tres, uh, with, which has all kinds of interesting, like, new technology, but also they've married it with old traditions and cultural stuff. And it's a matriarchy, which is cool. And the main character, June, is the daughter of like a, one of the very powerful matriarchs. And she's like a graffiti artist in the future, which is super fun. Um, and she is dreaming of, you know, being a legendary artist. And she has a best friend, Gil, and they do everything together. And like maybe there's some feelings there. And then she meets Enki, who is, has just been, you know, crowned the new summer king. Uh, and and he's an amazing dancer and an artist in his own right. And she starts to fall for him. But the problem is, is that the Summer King dies. Like, that's part of the role is that, you know, you get to, like, do all these amazing things and be crowned and, like, have an amazing, like, life for a little while. And then you are killed. And that's, like, the tradition. And so June and Enki and Gil start to, like, you know, find a rebellion and dig into that. And it is a really intense ride. Aliyah Don Johnson is so good at plotting. And she's so good at world building, too. Like, you just want to stay in these places that she's created for as long as possible. And it is a standalone book, which makes me a little sad. Like, oh, I would love to read more in this world. Um, but also because it's a standalone, like, there's no cliffhanger to make you mad. So it's really, it's really lovely. It's, it's a great book. And um, hopefully it will scratch some of this itch for you. So again, that's the Summer Prince by Alaya Don Johnson. Okay, our next question is from Nicole, who says, I have enjoyed books where the author goes on a trip that is physically or emotionally draining. Throughout their journey, they discover new things about themselves and discuss the aspects of humans that need to explore and push themselves. I loved both Into the Wild by John Krakauer and A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Both books have stuck with me years later. I hope you can f help me locate other interesting books along this topic. What you got, Amanda? Uh, I picked kind of a classic uh, a travel memoir. It's Blue Highways by William Least Heat Moon. Yes. I will say that <laughs> this is kind of an older one. It was published in the early 80s, but it's so fantastic. So it's a memoir of obviously, William Least Heat Moon, who is like recently divorced and recently lost his job and everything is trash. So he decides he's gonna live in a van and travel all of what he calls the blue highways of the US, which is um, like he's going through all the state, the, the lower 48, as it were. Um, and the blue highways are the back the back roads, basically, of the U.S. He's not going to get on any actual interstates or highways. He's going to travel through what is essentially rural America and just, like, see what he can find. He goes through places that have just the best, like, these. the names of these towns are the best. Like, there's a place <laughs> in Arizona called Y. That's yes. it. Just like why? Um, and there's a there's a town in Mississippi called Why Not. <laughs> and I, just, <laughs> I love that. It's so charming. Um, but uh, it's not... It reminded me a lot of Bill Bryson. Like, William Lee's Teep Moon does have his cranky moments, but he's not as, um, I don't want to call Bill Bryson slapstick, but the whole thing about A Walk in the Woods is that he has no idea what he's doing, right? But that is not the case with William Lee's Teep Moon. He, he knows what he's doing. 
And he's very brave. <laughs> like, he walks into some bars that I would never walk into in a million years. And he, you can tell that it was written in the 80s, I think, because he very easily, like, talks to strangers. Um, at least in the book, very few people are, are like, threatened by his presence or um, are threatening to him. Like, they're very hospitable and, like, ready and willing to talk to a journalist. I feel like if you tried to do something like this in 2019, it, that's not how that would go. I don't know. Hmm. Trisha is kind of doing this. I mean, not exactly, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, she, The host of our uh, When in Romance... One of the hosts of our One in Romance podcast is basically doing this <laughs> um, and having a great time as far as I can tell. But I would, I would, I think, be too much of a scary cow. I don't know. And she's also not said people have been mean to her, at least not on social media. But guess we'll find out when she gets her book deal. Anyway, yeah. so this is really just like a very long and meandering collection of his thoughts and experiences. Um, like he spends a lot of time talking to a couple that he meets about the boat that they're restoring. Like it's not exciting, I wouldn't say, but it's it's so insightful about the ways that like these kind of forgotten towns of America have continued, uh, or at least up until 1982, had continued to survive and to maintain the kind of cultural touchstones that they found important. Um, it's worth noting that William Lee Steepmoon is a Native American man, and so his experiences just like walking into bars full of white people would have might not have been... Um, like, it, when I say it's brave of him to do that, I don't just mean because like walking into a place full of strangers is scary, but like that is scary for him for a lot of other reasons. Um, so it was... I don't know. Like, it's just a classic of the travel memoir, and it's very much about his own reckoning with the stuff that was going on in his life at the time, but also about... America's reckoning with its own identity at a, in a time uh, historically that was very much about transition for us. So that's Blue Highways by William Lee Steepmoon. I love that book so much. Mm -hmm. It's very soothing. Yeah, it is very soothing. And it made the hugest impression on me when I read it as a teenager. Mm. So my pick for you is Lands of Lost Borders by Kate Harris. The subtitle is Out of Bounds on the Silk Road. And speaking of things I would never do, <laughs> Kate Harris is like a young white woman who decides that she's going to bike across the Silk Roads, like the old Silk Roads. She's going to get on her bike and do that thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, like, all right. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, before she actually does this, she's also trying to have like the life that she feels like she's supposed to have. She grows up in small town Ontario in Canada and decides that like since she can't be an explorer, she's gonna, you know, become a scientist and go to Mars. Um, so she, you know, goes to Oxford and MIT, but like she's finding that her studies are just so dissatisfying to her and she's just not interested and what she actually wants to do is go explore whether or not it's territory that has already been charted. So she, you know, quits her studies and hits the Silk Road with a friend and is trying to like bike it from beginning to end. And so she's doing, you know, the travel memoir thing. It opens with her like sneaking under a gate at a Chinese border in the middle of the night to try to avoid, you know, customs basically mm. and like passport control. Um, mm. so, so that and, <laughs> and, and, you know, like biking down like this, the Tibetan plateau where it's like dust everywhere and the wind is like making your eyes bleed and it's really intense, um, physically. But then also she's thinking about like how she got here personally and, you know, her childhood and, you know, failed relationships 
relationships and also, you know, the history of the Silk Road and what Marco Polo was doing and what he wasn't doing and, you know, the people of, of these lands and, you know, all of this stuff. So she's pulling in, she's pulling in history, she's pulling in science, she's pulling in personal stories. There's a lot going on here. Um, and she's a very good writer. She is very good at words. The sentences are pretty awesome. I occasionally get annoyed with her, I confess, in much the <laughs> same way I think that I get annoyed with Bill Bryson in that, like, okay, I get it, you're smart. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to prove over and over to me how smart you are. But it's a fascinating story and it's an interesting story from a female perspective as well. And yeah, I think it will definitely get to what you're looking for. So again, that's Lands of Lost Borders by Kate Harris. Alrighty. Our last question is from Jana, who says, My boyfriend and I have recently started reading books together, but it's been a difficult but it's been difficult finding things we both enjoy. He's a fan of fast paced high fantasy stories that have similar lore to Dungeons and Dragons. I prefer more slow burn, character driven stories that have science fiction themes. We are both fans of Jeff Vandermeer, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch, and The Stand and Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. Can you please recommend a science fiction or fantasy book that has enough action to satisfy my boyfriend and interesting characters that I can enjoy? Okay, I picked Game Changer by LX Beckett, which has nothing for your boyfriend. I'm sorry. No, I'm <laughs> um, it's just not fa- it's not fantasy. It's very, very science fiction. This book is so fascinating. So it's science fiction, very fast paced. So I think he'll be into it. Um, but it's about it's near future and it takes place mostly in Canada. Um, and it's about like what happens after the world that the baby boomers created falls apart as it inevitably is going to do and what the millennials and gen z build out of that rubble so there's like in the book it's called the setback which is like when climate change just everything falls apart and late stage capitalism collapses and then gen z like claws society back into um something functional and then people are like they're called the bounce back generation and then they're like thriving in this new world that they've created. And I actually think that somebody who likes like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of world building will appreciate the world building that's happening in Game Changer because it's so elaborate and like very specific and every aspect of every character's daily life is affected by um, the ways that that society has changed. So there's like social media on steroids where in order to be like a fully functional member of society, you have to do like you have to volunteer your time a lot. It's it's kind of like China's social credit or whatever it's called, social capital rating system. But everyone has to do that. Um, the ways that climate change has affected like the food supply system and like how the cops function and the military and all that. Um, so the main character's name is Ruby, and she has was born after the bounce back, so she doesn't remember or like has no lived experience of anything that came before. Um, and she works now as a public defender, helping people who are in trouble for antisocial behavior, not necessarily committing crimes, but things like trolling on the on the internet or like harassing women online like stuff like that that isn't a crime now but becomes socially unacceptable to the point that people can like deduct credits from you so you can't buy food or like get a job and that's how that works so she defends people who are in that position um and she's got a new client named luciano who is like his credit has been decimated um he's kind of a conspiracy theorist she thinks he's probably mentally ill but he's actually at the center of this like big government-wide conspiracy um, and why he really wants like he's working very hard to make sure that the planet the restoration of the planet and society doesn't happen and so she's got to figure out why so there's a really fast-paced mystery in the middle of it that i think um, your boyfriend will appreciate and all the characters in this book are really deeply explored so i think that there is something for you so that's game changer by lx beckett i was thinking about your jeff vandermeer and blake crouch 
you know, fandoms. And I was, I think this will work for you, therefore. Uh, <laughs> it is The Outside by Ada Hoffman. And this is such a cool book. I have been waiting for a chance to recommend this. So I'm so glad I finally got one. It is fascinating. It is sort of a Lovecraftian horror story, but also it takes place in a science fictional, like, future universe where there's space travel, but also there are these artificially intelligent gods, they're, like, called the gods, who rule the galaxy and can perform what basically looks like magic. So it's a really weird, like, in in that, you know, Vandermeery kind of way where you're like, what? What's happening? <laughs> it's amazing. And the main character, Yasira Shien, is a scientist who is autistic and who has been... So technology is super controlled for humanity. The AI gods have, like, very limited what humans have access to in terms of technology. So the so the gods and their angels, who are, like, cyborgs, basically, have all of the technology. And then humans are allowed, like, some technology, but not much. And Yasira has been developing a new energy drive in, like, you know, human science, which they know is limited, but she's trying her best to achieve what the gods' science can do for humanity because it could change everything for them in a good way. Um, but when they turn it on for the first time, like, it literally warps reality and destroys the space station and everyone on board. And she is abducted by the agents of a god. And they're like, okay, well, this was heretical. And, you know, execution worthy, but we're chasing a bigger fish. You know, your former professor has been off causing trouble for us. So if you will help us track her down, we will not kill you. And, and we won't kill your girlfriend because, of course, her girlfriend actually manages to make it off the space station where she's an engineer, but they've been separated and they are not allowed to contact each other. And so Yasira is like, I guess I have to say yes. Um, and so she goes off on this mission to try to track down her former professor, who is a huge heretic and has been causing problems all over the galaxy. And it is so unnerving in certain moments. Like, there's definitely that Lovecrafty horror. But I love this, like, queer, diverse, science-y, fascinating, neurodiverse take on it. It's really interesting. I haven't seen anybody do anything like this before. And the characters are so outstanding. Like, you get really sucked into them. And you do get multiple character POV, which I super appreciate, because things get a little complicated, and you're like, oh, thank God, somebody's going to explain to me what's going on. Um and the pacing is really great, like I, as you might suspect from the way I'm describing it, but it's definitely not at the sacrifice of the world building or the characters. And I think it's like wibbly wobbly sci-fi fantasy nature will make it interesting to both of you. The other thing to know about this is that Ada Hoffman, the author herself, is on the Asperger spectrum. So this is an own voices book. So again, that's The Outside by Ada Hoffman. And that's Hoffman with two N's, by the way. And that's our show. Woohoo! Thank you all so much for listening to our rambling. <laughs> if you would like to leave a rating or a review for us on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. We love to see the feedback, and it does help other people to find the show. Thank you to today's sponsors for making our episode possible. Uh, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. 